I want to take you to our fifth and next message in this series, the, the God of the Valleys, or whatever we called the series. That was the entire series. This is part five, and I want to come to part five here this morning. And just as we come here, and I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, and already, if you know that chapter, you instantly know where we're going, what we're going to deal with. If you know your Bible, if you don't, then you don't have a clue what I'm saying just yet until you turn to it. But just as you turn to it, just to say, especially for those online, um, I know we've been disrupted on our Sunday mornings, not disrupted in any bad way. It's been a good thing. Visiting speakers, me traveling. We've had our church camp various ministry in Slovakia and London and Germany. All this has been good um, over these months. So these messages on the valleys have been broken up a bit, but I hope you haven't lost it. It's so important you don't lose it. We are on a theme, and I believe even these breaks can be in the will of God just to bring us to this message this morning. Let me just remind you for a second before we read our text. In part one, we looked at the God of the valleys. God isn't only the God of the mountaintops. He is the God of the valleys. Do you have a testimony that your God is the God of your valleys? Or is he only your God when you're on the mountaintop, having great experiences, rejoicing in all the goodness of God? What about when you're in the dark, hard, cold, impossible times? Is he your God? That's where we began this whole series in part one. Such an important part. In part two, we looked at the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. We know it so well. In part three, we looked at the valley of the giants. Remember that where this is the place giants come against Jerusalem you are going to have to encounter the enemy there. It's a place of chance, not one chance, many chance in that valley. And its target is Jerusalem. In part four, last time, we looked at the valley of victory where David ran down into the valley and he ran against Goliath. It's not always a scary valley. There are some strange characters in the body of Christ who actually run into certain valleys you may think they're a bit cracked, a bit crazy, a bit unusual. But thank God there's still young Davids in the body of Christ who actually because of an indignation, a hatred of the enemy, they say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who should defy the armies of the living God? In other words, he said to come against God's people is to come against God. Where are those in the church that take it personally? When the devil attacks God's people say, how dare they come against God? How dare they attack God? We've lost the indignation. You know, we go through this thinking it's a personal battle. It's not personal. It's against your God. When he touches the church, he's touching God. That's the reality of this warfare. But here this morning, I want to come to this fifth and next message in Ezekiel 37. And I've called this the valley of dry bones, the valley of dry bones. Reading in Ezekiel 37 from verse 1 to verse 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me 
and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Look how he emphasizes this. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest, wise man. Again he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your precious word. Lord God, it constantly encourages, it rebukes, it challenges. Lord God, it convicts. Lord God, it illuminates. Lord God, it br brings understanding. It brings strength. Lord God, it brings stamina, O oh God. Lord God, it brings understanding that we might know the will of God, the plans of God, the purpose of God, the desires of God, the heart of God, the communications of God. And Father, I pray, will you open up your mind right now? Will you speak to us as your church, O oh God, in this day of, of drive? valley bones. Lord God, we're asking of you. Lord God, raise up an Ezekiel again. Raise up an Ezekiel church. Lord God, find a church that can prophesy in such an unlikely hour, in such a dark hour. Lord God, in such a dead hour, in such a barren hour. Lord God, that you would have a people that'll simply believe, simply obey the command of God to prophesy, to speak to the bones and to prophesy to the wind. My God, we pray again Again, that we're going to hear the blowing of those four winds again in our day, in our generation, that you'd revive your church, that you'd revive Israel, nor God, that you'd come as a wind upon the dead bones of unbelievers in our city, multitudes in the valley of decision, multitudes on their way to hell. My God, unless that wind blows, what a tragedy this city is heading for. But we know that you're a merciful 
and a gracious and a mighty God. Lord God, revive us. Begin with us this morning. That you'd revive us, O God. That you'd allow your wind to blow upon us like a hurricane. In Jesus' mighty name, will you bless your word and speak to us and open up the very thoughts of your mind that our hearts might be inspired today. Nor God, stir us like we've never been stirred. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We're coming to this message in Ezekiel 37, simply called the Valley of Dry Bones. We've looked at various unusual valleys in the Bible so far. I told you that the various valleys we've dealt with are literal, physical valleys in Israel that you can visit today. You could go there. And you could find some of these valleys that we dealt with. You can go to the very spot where Goliath fought David and where David tramped. You can go there. You can stand there. You can go down to the brook. You can lift up stones that are there just like in David's day. It's a real place. And there's various other valleys of the Bible. They're still there. You can go there and stand in those spots. But remember what we said about Psalm 25. How that we, sorry, 24, how we talked about the valley of the shadow of death. It was not a literal valley. You can't go to the valley of the shadow of death. You can go there, but you can't go there physically. It is a spiritual, emotional, and it's symbolic in the Bible. It's the same with Ezekiel 37. When we talk about the valley of dry bones. It isn't a physical named valley in the nation of Israel, but it's a very real place, believe me. In fact, it's so real, it is today affecting our entire world, and it is going to greatly affect our world in the days to come. Every nation, every culture, every family. This is a very real valley, but it's not a physical valley. It's not a literal valley in the nation of Israel. But please, with me this morning, don't think it's of less value. It's of great, great value. When we come to the book of Ezekiel, and we look at chapters 36, which is just before our chapter, through to chapter 39, two chapters after it. Do you know what we read about there is the regathering, the restoration, the resurrection And the spiritual revival of the nation of Israel, that's its literal interpretation. I hope you don't spiritualize all these things. I hope you understand there are real prophecies that have never yet come to place in our generation or in world history. They are yet future. It says here in Ezekiel 37 and verse 1, follow with me. It says the land of the Lord, sorry, the hand of the Lord is upon me. I want you to see a few things here. The hand of the Lord is upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which is full of bones. The valley we're going to deal with this morning is a valley filled with bones. I mean, it is saturated. It is covered in dead, dry bones. You can hardly see the ground. It's an entire open valley, not a narrow valley, a very open valley, a broad valley with hills either side. And that valley is literally saturated, 
filled with dry bones. You can't even identify a full skull or a full skeleton by itself. It is so intermixed. These are multitudes, multitudes of dead, dry bones. And it says, and causes me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. I want you to see some very important things here as we begin to look at this. It also says in Ezekiel 3 verse 22, the hand of the Lord was upon me. What an important statement. There's a few things I want you to see here before we go into the three things I mainly want to deal with. I want you to see and be aware what the valley is. I want you to be aware of the preacher. And I want you to be aware of the bones. They are three distinct things. The preacher, the bones, and the valley. They're not all the same. Don't merge them together. All three of them are very different. And I want you to take good note of them. That there is an actual valley. In other words, what is a valley? It's a low place, a hidden place, an enclosed place. And that valley is filled with bones. It is a real place in, in as far as history goes. It is very enclosed, very defined. And you can go to it. You can identify it. And when you find this valley of dry bones, it is filled with these dry bones. That's how you identify it. Look at this preacher with me. There is a preacher who the Spirit of God lifts and takes that, bo that boneyard. You don't go to this boneyard yourself. You don't choose to. You'd be reckless to put yourself in this situation. But we need preachers like Ezekiel again. We need prophets or men of God. Who is the preacher? His name is Ezekiel. From Ezekiel chapter 1 through to 24, he prophesies about the fall of Jerusalem, the judgment that is going to come against God's people, Judah. God's people were a remnant. They were a holy remnant or used to be, but not in this hour. See, in Ezekiel's life, as he was a young man and he began to grow up, you know what? They were backslidden. In prophesying from chapter 1 to 24, he calls them a faithless wife. He calls them a rebellious house. In fact, he begins to list their names. You know how people on the internet and YouTube, and we have Brother Cecil here last week, and he talks uh, about Francis Chan, and you have people jumping to go, we understand what you're saying, but be very careful. I don't like you mentioning anything about a preacher or a man of God in the church. I get very nervous about that. You'd get extremely nervous about Ezekiel. Do you hear me this morning? Ezekiel, in 24 chapters, he begins to name and detail and lay out and accuse and point the finger and show them their transgression and call them to repentance. He is literally pulling back the covers. Ezekiel is. Do you know why he's doing that? Because something is coming. God won't ignore all of that. Do you think God just covers it and says, sure, I love you. You're Judah, my people. And you know what? I so love you. I don't see anything wrong with you. 
Absolutely not. That's not the character of God. That's not the word of God. That's not the ways of God. God doesn't do that. And here he finds a preacher to do this. Do you know it's very hard to find a preacher to do this in this generation? To get an Ezekiel, I assure you, you're going to have to search high and far and wide in this hour to lift the man, to put him in the valley of dry bones and say, prophesy to them. Me? Yes, you. What all those things you're showing me? Yes, I want you to actually preach them. Sure, they'll kill me if I preach like that. Do you know Ezekiel here was a man that was removed from his nation. Here he is for 24 chapters dealing with the sin. He lists the reasons for God's judgment. But when we come to this area, chapter 32 through to 48, you know what he begins to preach about? Once Israel goes into captivity, once the enemy takes them, once they fall, once the temple burns, once their gate walls are pulled down and destroyed, once they are scattered, you know, once judgment comes, you know what he does? From chapter 32 to 48, he begins to prophesy about Israel's future restoration and about receiving, the, receiving what they're going to receive from God's hand. Blessing, re- restoration, recovery, outpourings of the Spirit, the rebuilding of the walls, everything given back. And he says all this, More than 60 times, he says, I'm doing this and I'm telling you this that you may know that I am the Lord. I'm doing all, I tell you everything about your entire history and life, everything in detail before it happens. The judgment, I tell you before it happens. The blessing, I tell you even before they've carried you off, how I'm going to restore you. Do you know we're dealing with God and God cares about you greatly. He cares about you extremely. When we come to the book of Ezekiel, it is the most dated book in the entire Bible. 14 times he gives the dates of his prophecies. He doesn't just prophesy all through the years. There are 14 specific periods of time. And he gives the day and he gives the month and he writes it down. Also, in the ninth year of his captivity... He's called to be a prophet in the year 593 at the age of 30 years old. Do you know this young man? He got carried away from his home in the Babylon. He prophesies in Babylon, not in Jerusalem. He is there prophesying. He begins to prophesy there and say, do you know you are going to all get carried into captivity and Jerusalem is going to get destroyed and you will be carried off and you will become prisoners. They didn't believe it. Those in Babylon didn't believe it. Those in Jerusalem didn't believe it. But here's a preacher, 30 years old. He should have become a priest. He was of the priesthood. You know, under normal circumstance, he would have prepared himself for ministry and been in the temple and went through all the priestly sacrifice and killed the sacrificial lambs and cleaned up the temple after them. But this isn't a normal day. This in the church in our day is not a normal day. You know, as a street preacher all through the years, I didn't even like to come inside the church. I didn't like to preach in the church. I didn't want to ever preach in a church. 
I'm a street preacher. I'm an evangelist. I love to be in the high street all the time. Give me sinners. Give me an army camp filled with 1,500 guys. That's the sort of man I am. I didn't want to speak to the church. But do you know what God does? He takes Ezekiel, the priest, and a 30. He says, you're in Babylon. You'll never see the temple. The temple's going to be destroyed, but I'm making you a prophet. I'll open your eyes that you're going to see another temple that's going to be built in its place. And so here is a man who God lays his hand upon. It is remarkable. And he prophesies for the next 22 years about the will of God, the plan of God. But look at this preacher and you preachers here. I want you to hear you're useless. You're utterly useless unless you have the things Ezekiel had. And I'll tell you what, if a preacher online listens to me, you might as well pack your bag, resign from your job, from pastoring, preaching, evangelizing. Just pack your bag if you don't have these things because you're utterly useless. And I won't tell you you need to go to Bible school. And I won't tell you you need certain intellect or certain degrees. Or you need to be eloquent. Or you need to be entertaining. Or you need to be fascinating. I won't tell you any of that. Listen to me carefully about this man, Ezekiel. This is the sort of man God can lift and put right in the midst of a valley that is filled with dry bones. If you're going to put a man in a valley of dry bones, you better be careful who that man is. I wouldn't put any man in a valley of dry bones. They'd give up after a day. Sure, these bones are useless. They're not speaking to me. They're not applauding my sermon. Nobody said amen. I've seen some preachers almost kill themselves to try and make someone say amen. You, you better just concentrate on your preaching. But listen, these five distinct things that the Bible says about this preacher, and we need preachers like this again. We need men and women in this church who are of the caliber of Ezekiel again, just to function as the church again. We need this church to be like Ezekiel. Number one, the hand of the Lord was upon him. That's in verse one. The hand of the Lord was upon him. When you look at Ezekiel, seven times it said about him, the hand of the Lord was upon him. You know what that means? The influence of God, the guidance of God, the will of God. He could feel God's hand upon him. This wasn't him. It didn't originate. God's hand was upon this man. God was in control. Seven periods of prophecy of Israel's future. And all the time, God's hand is upon him. You don't want to be in ministry if God's hand isn't upon you. You would not want to pastor a church if God's hand isn't upon you. You wouldn't leave, want to leave your job and step out to serve God. You better make sure God's hand is upon you. Forget the preaching. Forget about trying to get messages. Can I ask you, is God's hand upon you? We need a generation of preachers sent to the church. God's hand is upon them. That's got to be number one. If God's hand isn't upon you, forget your preaching. Forget ministry. Forget Bible school. Forget all your labors. I'm going to do something for God. God doesn't want you to do anything for him. Are you someone with God's hand upon you? You can't have God's hand upon you and be normal. There's going to be something different. You're not in control anymore. We need God's hand to be upon people. Oh, that God would move again. Second of all, again in verse one, and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. That's the second thing. The spirit of the Lord was on this man. 
not only the hand of God, but the Spirit of God was carrying him, moving him, lifting him, moving him to another place, right into the valley of dry bones. What preacher would walk into the valley of dry bones? Yes, Lord, I'm a volunteer. I actually want to go to the deadest, hardest, worst. Well, I only know one preacher who ever prayed that all through the years, and you're looking at him. I'm telling you, I always said, Lord, where no one else wants to go, why do you think I'm in Limerick? No one else wants to, <laughs> see, you know, no one else wants to go. No one would be crazy enough, mad enough. I was one of those young guys. I said, oh, God. Then years later, I said, what did I pray all these years? Lord, can I take it back? No, sorry, too late. You prayed it all these years. Do you know this man, Ezekiel, the Spirit of God carried him. Isn't it wonderful? Here's a man who's willing to be carried by the Holy Spirit of God, lifted, carried. Lord, wherever you send me, I'm going to go. Send me to the hardest place. I will stand there. And so the Spirit of God put him in this place. You know elsewhere in this chapter, the words breathe, winds, and spirit are all the same in the Hebrew. Winds, breathe, spirit, the exact same Hebrew word. So when it says about the winds blowing or breathing, putting breath in the dead bones, it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit carries this preacher prophet. He actually moves in the bones. Don't you realize it's the Holy Spirit who does everything? It's the Holy Spirit who builds the church. It's the Holy Spirit who brings in the sinners. It's the Holy Spirit who prepares the preacher from the preacher in the pulpit all the way through to the worst sinner getting saved. It's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. We not only need the hand of God on the preacher, we need the Spirit of God absolutely in control. Third of all, the word of the Lord says in verse 4, again he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Who would be crazy enough to preach, to prophesy to dead bones? Hope my friends don't see me now. Can you imagine standing in a large valley? You can't even see the end of it. It is filled with bones, dead, very dry, very many bones, as far as the eye can see. You've got to stand there and prophesy. See, there's the third thing about a real preacher, a real prophet, a real man of God. The word of the Lord is there. He's not making up sermons. It's not a pick-me-up message or educational message. He had the word of the Lord. He had God's message for God's people in God's hour. And you know what? We need the word of the Lord. We don't need more sermons. The church never needed more sermons. But we need the word of the Lord. And he said, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy unto these bones. You see, when you're in touch with God, God gives you the message. God gives you the audience. God tells you who to prophesy to and what to prophesy. And you may look and say, Lord, I think the message is wrong and I think you've got the wrong audience for me. Don't do that. You know what he done with Philip? He lifted him up from a revival in Samaria multitudes getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles are happening. Demons are being cast out. What did the Lord do? Lifted him, took him right out into the wilderness. Thank God Philip was such a man. 
Come with me, Philip. Yes, sir. You know what? He had the word of the Lord. Stand here. Yes, sir. Don't move. Yes, sir. And he waits until this one man comes along in his chariot, reading Isaiah 53. Amazing. And you know what he says? He says, do you know what you're reading? No. How can I know unless someone tells me? Can I get up there in your chariot and tell you? Sure. This is Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. And he evangelizes him. What a remarkable thing. For one soul, he left an entire revival. Where are the preachers like Philip and like Ezekiel in this hour? God's called me to prophesy to a valley of dry bones. God's called me to go to the hard places. God's called me to stand here, to not move until the wind blows again. People tell you it's impossible. Of course it's impossible. Why do you think I'm standing here? Do you think I'm doing for entertainment or fun or enjoyment or gain? God told me. So he had the word of God. God's word came onto him. Do you know what he's doing? He's speaking on God's behalf. And someone who opens their mouth in this pulpit better make sure they're speaking on God's behalf and not their own behalf. Or that's blasphemy. When someone claims to speak for God and it's not God, that's blasphemy. You, you, you're dishonoring the Lord and it's all through the church. Then there's a fourth thing. He separated. What does it say in verse 1? He carried me out. The Spirit of God separated him from his environment. Can the Holy Spirit do that with you? You see, you're, we're so scared. I don't want to be separated. I don't want to be removed from where I like where I am. Then stay there. But you know what? When the Holy Spirit moves you, he could bring you right out from old friends, right out from old environments, right out where there's a separate, I didn't say segregation. Oh, I don't like to be lonely. I didn't say to be lonely. Separation is not the same as segregation. In fact, those who are separated evangelize most and are most in the midst of reaching out and of touching others. We need the hand of God. He also says he was in the midst of dry bones. He's separated. He is holy, yet he's in the midst of dry bones. Separation, but not segregation. And fifth and lastly, he was obedient. It's all through here. He's a preacher who is obedient. And he sent me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and carried me to pass by them round about. Go look at them. Go look how dead they are. See, before you prophesy, go look how dead they are. They are. Have you ever done, saints, can I ask you, have you ever done that in Limerick? You go shopping, you rush down the street, you go for coffee, you go and get a meal. When's the last time you walked out in the street just to go and look at the dead bones? This city's going to hell, you know. Multitudes of sinners pack these streets and shops, buying their little intricate things, getting drunk, grabbing a meal, having a laugh, all of it. They're on their way to hell. They are so close to hell. And the church is asleep. Talk about dead bones. The church is dead. No desire for souls. No burden. No passion. No reaching out. There is something really wrong. I'm going to tell you the church is not okay in this hour. 
Neither are sinners okay. Don't tell me this world's okay. It's heading for judgment and wrath. It's heading for an outpouring of God's judgment. What a crisis. And yet people just carrying on. He says he caused them to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. Have a good look. You, you say, these sinners are very hard. You ain't seen nothing yet. Go and stare in their faces. You know what? You're going to say there's very many in this city. You haven't seen the sinners yet. You're not even aware. You can actually be in the midst of crowds of sinners. You're not even thinking of their souls. You're not even aware of the reality of this. You're actually sitting having a meal with them, laughing, joking. You never pray one prayer. You don't even bow your head at the meal and say, Oh God, have mercy with the sinners around me. You're more interested in your little bit of food. I'm telling you, we walk down into shops surrounded. Just stand still and begin to look at their faces. The heartache, the pain, the disaster, the crisis. Look at the crisis we've had in this church. Do you not think... It's up and down that street. Do you know how many people are? Sometimes I've, I've been on a beach and I've looked at someone sitting alone and their heads down. And I go, I wonder what tragedy. I mean, oh God, lead me, guide me. Give me the courage to walk up to some stranger and say, are you okay? Do you know the, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and died for you? I don't have that courage by myself. You know, neither do you. Oh God, help us in this hour. Make us like Ezekiel. Go and look at them. Have a good look and see how many there are, how dry they are. You think it's hard ground. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's a, it's a lot harder than you ever imagined in this church. These sinners are more impossible to save than you ever thought. Your family members don't stand a chance. You think it's hard to reach them. You haven't seen how dry they are. You think you know how dry they are, how hard they are. You actually do not. They're in a far worse condition than you ever imagine. So serious on the edge of eternity. Without the wind, without a miracle, without someone prophesying to them. See, it's going to take an Ezekiel. Someone who's actually going to prophesy. And in their mind screaming, it's impossible. It's dead. There's so many. What can I do? I'm one preacher. One man, Ezekiel. What I'm meant to make a difference. Yes. Yes, you are. If God's hand is upon you and God's spirit is upon you and God's word has come to you, we can make a difference. I want to tell you, we're not wasting our time in this city of Limerick. God is yet going to work by his mighty power. But saints of God, God needs a vessel as always. He doesn't put everyone in the valley of dry bones. Most would be reviled by it. Most would be repulsed by it. Most would argue with God. Most would say, stick me in that big pulpit, that nice church in Jerusalem. You know that mega church, that 10,000 seater. Surely, is that not your will for me? No, I want to put you in a valley of dry bones. That's my will, my plan, my purpose, all my dealings with you. That's what I'm going to do. I've got three points here this morning. I want you to hear, hear very carefully as we come to Ezekiel 37. We're not talking about another day, another generation. It's not all symbolic. Actually, you're going to find this chapter is very literal. Not just spiritually applied somehow. It's actually literal. It's real. 
It was prophesied 2,600 years ago by Ezekiel. But it's for this hour. I'm utterly convinced it's not for another hour, not for another generation, not for another people. This prophecy supremely is for us, for you, for I, for our generation. It's about to happen and yet most don't realize it. This is a phenomenal chapter and I've got three points here. Here's my first point. Israel restored and revived. Israel restored and revived. I want to give it in its literal, actual, true application. Who are the Valley of Dry Bones? Who are they? What does it represent? What does it mean? When is it going to happen? Who are they? Why is Ezekiel doing this? What's this prophecy all about? In verse 11, after the vision, this parable of the vision of the valley of dry bones, after he gives that, verse 11, you know what the Lord says? All these bones, this valley filled with bones, is all the house of Israel. What's he talking about? Literal Israel as a nation in the last days. You've got to be very clear about that. From chapter 37, verse 11 and 14, after this, beginning with verse 11, when he says, it's Israel. The Lord gives the explanation of this prophecy. It's the whole house of Israel. It is the physical restoration, politically, militarily, economically, geographically, every wise. Are you a gardener? Israel's going to blossom. Before this prophecy, it's going to be a barren, dead nation. And Israel was. The land of Israel, all of its great mountains, all of its valleys, it was dead. 100 years ago, it is barren. It's swampland. It's disaster. No one can plant anything there. No one's living there. Scattered people irking out of living. Now it's one of the richest nations in the world. Do you realize this prophecy of the valley of dry bones, see it in its literal application, is talking about the sudden recovery of a nation. Israel as a nation got scattered from AD 70. They were never together as a nation. Their temple was destroyed. Their priesthood was scattered. The 12 tribes got scattered. They no longer had a king. Even those Herods would no longer reign. They were scattered, decimated. They lost their language. They lost their homeland. They lost everything. They were scattered as a people worldwide. Until when? 1948. AD 70 to 1948. Do you know, Israel only once in its entire 4,000 history got scattered amongst all nations. And Ezekiel talks about this. He said, now the, what I'm talking about is when you're in all nations, every nation of the world. In Ezekiel's day, they were only carried into Babylon. At other times, they're carried into Syria. Only once in world history was Israel as a physical nation scattered into all the world. It was after AD 70 and it continued until 1948. Almost 2,000 years, 1,900 years. And people scattered. 
Do you know, no country in the world has ever, none, none, not even remotely, has been scattered like that and got rebirthed as a nation with the same language, the same religion, the same land, the same culture, the same history. No country in the entire world, none exist. Out of the, about 200 recognized countries in the world, no other country in world history, it's never happened. It's utterly impossible. Only one small nation that happened to, and that was Israel. You know, Ezekiel 2,600 years ago was prophesying about our day. Brother Jer, I don't know when he was born, but I think he was probably around 1948, were you? I wasn't around then, but I'm telling you, a lot of this happened in my day. I grew up knowing Israel had been rebirthed as a nation. It was a great mark of my lifetime. Israel as a living nation. You know all the wars, remember we taught on this before. Remember 1948, Britain pulled out. The 15th of May, Britain pulled out, said, well, we're leaving you to it. They tried to make sure they took all the weapons, not leave their tanks. They weren't like Biden in Afghanistan. He left everything, untouched the best equipment. You know what the British done? Take everything out. No protection, no armaments, no guns. And you had this skeleton army and you had five nations invade them, attack them immediately on that day. Welcome, it's your first day as a nation again. And you've got the best armies in the region attacking. And you've got other nations helping them with funds and finance and with weapons. They were determined to destroy this nation on its first day. Who won? Israel won. War after war after war of annihilation. You know what I'm telling you here? The Valley of Dry Bones is specifically speaking about the nation of Israel. 2,600 years until it actually came to pass. What Ezekiel prophesied. All those years. You know, God takes his time, but he's never late. You say, where's God? How long have you been waiting? A year? 10 years? Oh, aren't you patient? Try 2,600 years. We, we get impatient with God. Where are you, God? Don't you think he knows what he's doing? You know, when he does what he's doing, he changes the entire world. It's a remarkable thing. Look at verse 11. It says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Again, it says in verse 11, they say, that is the bones are speaking. They've got a voice. Our bones are dried. That means they are ashamed, confused, disappointed, dried up. They're withered up. The bones are speaking about themselves. Israel as a nation in their graves, scattered across the world. They're saying we're confused, disappointed. There's no chance we'll ever be a nation again. Oh yes, he's going to do it in 1948. Overnight, you're scattered in Russia. I'll bring Russia to its knees. I'm going to bring down the Berlin Wall. I'm going to open up Austria. Do you realize God shook the nation? Do you know why? I'm going to have Israel back in the nation. Nothing, not all hell, not the UN, not the EU, not Russia, not communism. Nothing could stop this. Do you realize how strong prophecies are and the word of God is in the Bible? When you begin to realize who your God is, Ezekiel standing in the valley of dry bones, I must be a madman prophesying to them. Dry bones, come alive. 
You're a madman. No, I'm not. I've got the word of God. The spirit of God's upon me. The hand of God's upon me. And in 2,600 years, an entire nation's going to get raised up. It'll defeat Egypt and Assyria and Iraq and Iran. It'll stand against Russia, ultimately. Do you realize what we're saying here? When the word of God is preached, God does wonders and miracles. Don't think about it. If you ever get the word of God, you preach with power. You know, when you're with your family members and you're there going, oh, sure, what's the point? And sure, they don't believe this. Prophesy. You say, but they'll argue. Don't get into an argument. Give them the word of God. You must be born again. Oh, they don't understand that. Who cares? Prophesy. Do you know, daddy? Do you know, uh, mommy? Do, do, do you know, brother, sister, son, daughter? Do you know, you must be born again. You say, oh, they don't, they don't listen to that. They don't, they don't understand. Prophesy. Give them the word of the Lord. Just get alone in your closet. Pray until the spirit of God comes. And then just tip out, tiptoe out and just say, Lord, help me. Give me the right word. Just drop the statement and then carry on with the dishes or whatever. Just prophesy. Actually seek the will of God. It says, we are cut off for our parts. We're destroyed. We're divided. Verse 2, very many, very dry. That means totally, wholly, absolutely. Verse 12, what an impossible situation. They're in their graves. That's all the nations of the world. Communism in Russia was holding them. Or what about the Holocaust with Nazism? Hitler annihilated six million Jews. He said, I will destroy you as a people. No, you're going to bring about the birthing of an entire nation. Can you imagine during the Holocaust, they say, what? think of the cries from the Jews. God didn't answer. Did he not? 1948, three years after the war, he birthed a nation after 2,600 years. Don't you realize that as God is looking down on this Holocaust and the death camps and people dying, millions dying, don't you realize God says, now I'll be seen as God. I'm going to rise. I'm going to begin to move. I'm going to birth an entire nation. It's going to look so ridiculous. No one will think it's possible. They'll say, these people can't defend their nation. Do you know what? They didn't know until the day, 15th of May, they didn't know what Israel was going to be called. What else could you call it? It's the ancient name of Israel. Do you know they had a whole list of names, what they're going to call it? Nobody really knew until that day. Then everyone knew. And of course they all went, but of course it's obvious. Do you know they wanted to put them in Africa? They found a nice nation in Africa and they found a place over here and a place over there. And they said, what about this bit of land? No, we want our old ancient homeland, just like the Bible says. What a miracle that God began to move. But do you know what? This prophecy isn't just about Israel's physical, political, or economical recovery. It's not. Can I remind you, Ezekiel 37 is also about the spiritual revival of Israel when their eyes are going to be open and they're going to receive the gospel. Let me remind you, it teaches that in Romans chapter 11. Israel, as a nation, is going to be grafted back in. At the minute, they're in blindness. It's only a few believe. But we're told in Romans 11, a time comes, the time of the Gentiles. It seems when nothing else is going to happen with the Gentiles. You know what happens? God grafts Israel back in as a nation. And suddenly they go, the gospel. 
Isaiah 53, it's our Messiah. It's our Bible. It is our book. Remarkable things are going to happen. When you begin to read this prophecy, it's all about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's all about changing the hearts. God hasn't just recovered Israel to have a physical nation with Netanyahu there as her prime minister. You know, we've got a friend, we, we talked to him just recently and he told us over one year ago, a friend of his in Israel where Netanyahu would come and they'd pray together and this man was a man of God, a preacher. And he said, God spoke to him and said, before December time, this last December, Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be back as prime minister. One year ago, that's utterly impossible. Utterly impossible. And our friend said he was over there. And this friend says, listen to me. You listen to me. This is going to happen before December. And I believe it was December that it happened. He's back in position. Nobody wanted him. Why do you think Benjamin Netanyahu is back in there? Do you know he served an elite unit in the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Through the years, he's always been an immoral man. He's gone through three marriages, broke them all up because of adultery. But in 2012, he started a Bible study with other politicians and rabbis on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis. And so now, here's the president, prime minister of Israel. He actually holds a Bible study every Sabbath, every Saturday afternoon with his two sons and he studies the Bible every single week. Also, he's always been a friend of evangelicals worldwide. He sent out letters over previous years saying, you know who we are, you know who Israel is, you know God's plan for Israel. He believes in Bible prophecy. He says, you know what's going to happen. You know our enemies are against us. See, I don't believe Israel's innocent and everything. I'm not pro-Israel. I'm pro-Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I know this man was an immoral man, but he's gone to the Bible and he knows who the God of the Bible is. He's not saved. He's not converted. He's not a moral man. But do you not think God has people in the right place for the right time? This valley of dry bones, look at it closely. You, you see this man prophesying. Ezekiel prophesied to it. Look at the dead dry bones. It's impossible. But begin to prophesy. You know what it says? Prophesy unto them. And say this. O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Do that to your unsaved daughter next time. Dear daughter, hear the word of the Lord. I'm prophesying to you. You must repent, be born again, washed in the blood. As they grimace at you going, you're nuts. Yes, but I believe this. And you know what? I'm praying for you and I love you. And I'm not going to let go until God saves you. I'm determined you come into the kingdom of God. You don't know how determined I am. God's got a grip on me and I'm going to prophesy and evangelize and pray until you come through to salvation. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Behold, is him prophesying. Behold, 
I will cause breath to come into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will bring flesh upon you, line upon line, and I'm going to cover you with skin. These are dry bones, sinews, skin. Everything's getting rebuilt. And then, behold, a shaken is going to come. And in the midst of that shaken, bone is going to... You know, we get scared of bone shaking, don't we? I don't like all this shaking and rattling and noise and all the rest. You know what? God is doing something. Maybe your loved ones will get... Say, I've mishmashed my points already. I'm I'm everywhere here, but it's good. It's good. I'm just going to keep going. Do Do you know what? When you begin to prophesy and preach... There may be a lot of noise. You go, this is getting worse. They're getting worse. And? No, you don't understand. They seem to be getting harder, more noisome, more boisterous, stirring. Are you sure we're doing the right thing? It seems the more I preach them, the worse they get. Keep prophesying. Can I tell you here? You, you begin to see the spirit of God moving. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaken and the bones came together with bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh come upon them and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. This is physical Israel at the night. As a nation at the minute, they're restored publicly, they're restored politically, they're in the land. Look at the military, look at the technology, look at the skill, look at the scientists, look at the medical advancement, look at how the nation is blossoming, look at the oil finds off their course. Don't you see Israel? Everyone hates Israel. Everyone's cursing Israel. They want to destroy Israel. The UN keeps passing resolutions against Israel. You know what keeps happening? Israel just keeps blossoming and growing and expanding and getting better. What a pr- the wor- I'm telling you, the worse the enemy gets, the more God keeps in. He says, you know what? Hold on, brother Keith, but they're not righteous. I know. Most of them are atheists. Hold Hold on, what are you telling me? I'm telling you, God has regathered an entire ancient nation of people. They speak Hebrew now. That's their national language. They've restored their history. They're rebuilding their archaeology. They're digging up the artifacts of King David, but they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe their Bible. They don't even believe, they don't even understand this. So who's in control? Are you telling me that unless they believe very, very hard, none of this will happen? They don't believe. It's a small remnant belief. Most of the church believe. Israel doesn't. God is building, building, building. Spiritual revival has never yet come. It has not happened in this nation. They haven't been regenerated. These chapters promise. And you know what? The, chapter 38, you know what that is in chapter 39. That's Ezekiel's war. Turkey. Iran, Russia are going to invade. We're very close. Remember five years ago, we've traced it every year. Five years ago, for the first time, those nations joined together because of Syria and began speaking how they're going to operate in the Middle East. Don't you realize how close we are to the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37? And do you know what? There was a prophet prophesying 
that all this is going to come. We haven't seen the end. Do you know this continues with Israel? Until their spiritual revival. And last of all, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns in the clouds, in the air for them. Do you realize that? Saints of God, you live. You live smack. You may not have been there in 1948. But you're living in the generation where all of this before your, before your eyes, before your eyes it's happening. An entire small nation that the Bible prophesies every detail about and gives you accurate information. It's happening before your eyes. And yet what an exciting time. They're not spiritually revived yet. They're not saved as a nation. They haven't come alive. There's much in this hasn't happened yet. Half of it has happened. The natural has happened, but not the spiritual revival. What an amazing hour that you are living in. You know what it says? It says prophesy unto the wind. Oh, look at them. They're formed. They've got flesh. They've got bone. They're back in position. Not arm bones all together and leg bones together. Now you've got identified bodies. They're corpses. They're not bones anymore. They're corpses. There's one thing missing is the wind blowing. Until the wind blows. What is that? That's revival. That's the Holy Spirit of God. So you prophesy to the bones, come together, let flesh come. It's happened. They're a nation. No one can destroy them. Everyone has tried. Ireland, the politics in Ireland, Limerick City, the council, the institutions of Limerick hate Israel. Ireland is against Israel almost as much as any country in the entire world. It's remarkable. They are anti-Israel, anti all of these things. You need to be very careful who you set yourself against. You're not fighting a nation. You're fighting against a living God. And you know what? He always gets his way. I would not want to set myself against this God and his plan and purpose in this generation. Second and thirdly, and I'm going to finish with this. I believe this valley of dry bones can, and it always has been applied to the church. Spiritually. See, I give you the physical interpretation. Do you not think, and this is my second point, the church restored and revived? There's only ever been one church. Israel is going to get grafted back into the tree. The church is already there. It's a branch. The church isn't grafted into Israel. We don't go back to our Jewish roots. Israel has been chopped off. She is going to be grafted in. Do you know who the root is? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the roots. He's the source. You know what? We're a branch on the tree. Israel's going to get grafted back in. She was a natural branch. But for 2,000 years almost, she's been cut off spiritually. Now she's, now, now she's recreated, restored as a nation. You know what God's about to do is graft the branch of Israel back in. What a momentous event. You know what Romans 11 doesn't say that's the end of the Gentile age. Doesn't say that it's all over at that point. You know what it says? It says if they're cutting off, meant the gospel went to all Gentile nations, all Gentile cultures. What's going to happen when she gets grafted back in again? What's going to happen when God spiritually turns towards Israel? 
Do you know what the Bible teaches? Old Testament and New Testament is there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what happens when Israel gets grafted in spiritually, when a revival comes to Israel? Do you realize that according to Romans eleven twenty five, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in? You know what it's talking about? Verse 11, salvation. Verse 12, the riches of the world. What impact is this going to have? Verse 15, life from the dead, a resurrection. What's going to happen amongst the Gentile nations? All the revivals have stopped. The power of the gospel. What are we seeing happen in this hour? It's only little bits. You know what we're about to see is the church. Let me talk to you about the Valley of Dry Bones being the church. You see, Israel gets grafted back into the church. They become one. Remember what the gospel always was. Sorry, they don't get grafted back into the church. They get grafted back into the stem. But Ephesians chapter 2, listen carefully. This is the gospel. It's not Jew and Gentile. It's not Messianic churches and we're a Gentile church. That was never God's plan. For at that time, ye were, you Gentiles were without Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise which Israel had. Having no hope without God in the world. But now... In Christ, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both. Notice this, both. He's made both Israel and the Gentiles. He's made both one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity and the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. Do you realize the cross has done away with all this messianic Christianity? You know, we all say Yeshua. And you've got some of these poor Gentiles going back wearing a skull cap. Some of them need it. But a man's not meant to cover his head in the house of God. Men aren't meant to do that. And they're going back and trying to be Jewish, Christians, messianic. No circumcision, but they want to wear a skull cap. They've got their priorities wrong. Got their doctrine all mixed up. I'm telling you, a lot of confusions in the church. There is one church, Jew and Gentile. There's not a messianic skullcap wearing, prayer shawl wearing. Get your prayer shawl off. That's wrong for a man to cover his head with a prayer shawl when he prays in a public building. It's all a mess. Do you know what's going to happen in Ezekiel 37? There is also a revival for the church. The church has always believed that this could be used for the church. God always wants to revive his church. What does the church in this generation looks, look like? It looks like we're in a valley spiritually. Isn't it a valley in our day? Aren't we finding ourselves right across the church? No revival, no gathering of harvest. There in America, everyone's talking about revival. Where's the harvest of souls? Oh, one got saved over here. Five got saved over here. Our church got stirred. Where's the harvest of souls? You're saying there's revival. Where are the multitudes? Every other revival had it. 
every single revival since Pentecost. Listen to me. You've got Ezekiel, a man who'll stand up in the valley of dry bones and he begins to prophesy, dry bones live. What happens? A miracle happens in a dry, dead environment. They're all dead, unregenerate, and the power of God comes down. You know what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Spirit of God came down in 120 in an upper room and they pour out rejoicing. There's tongues, there's fire, there's wind, there's amazing experiences. They're all speaking these tongues in national languages, all the languages of the Roman Empire. Do you know what happens? Oh, 3,000 got saved. No, they didn't. Not one soul's convicted of sin. None. It's a real revival. Listen very carefully to me. This is a real revival in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? Verse 1. They're all filled. The Holy Spirit comes on them. Nobody until verse 14 gets convicted of sin. There's tongues, fire, flames, excitement. Multitudes begin to gather and they're, they're saying, they're mad. Others are amazed. Others are in awe. Everyone's asking questions. Nobody's convicted of sin. Do you realize why? This was a valley of dry bones. This is a real revival in the house of God. But nobody's getting saved. Do you know what happens in verse 14? That changed everything. I mean, what more do you need than the wind blowing? What more do you need than the Holy Spirit coming down and filling every Christian in the church in that building? And supernaturally, 120 speaking in languages they don't even know and have never learned. Won't that change a city? No. Oh, we've got a revival. We've got a worship revival. We, we're praising all of our young people. Hold on, where's the preaching? Yeah. Where is the preaching? With Ezekiel, God ordains the preaching of the word. He has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that do not believe. You know, in Acts chapter 2, you read all of this, it's spectacular. Then you get to verse 14. Nobody is getting saved. Nobody is convicted of sin. But this city is being stirred. Everyone's excited. What happens? Peter stands up. Good man, Peter. Peter stands up. Don't do it, Peter. We're just about to, we're praising God. Don't disturb it by your preaching. God doesn't want preaching and revival. I've got to say this. You know why? These are the sort of silly things. Oh, well, in the Welsh revival, they didn't preach. I've heard it a hundred times recently. Do you realize in the Welsh revival, it was testimony and singing. It was a singing revival, but there was no preaching. That's a lie. That is, I, I know my history. I've read every book in the Welsh Revival. Some of my best friends were the greatest historians of the Welsh Revival. I've got all of their books. Do you know Evan Roberts sometimes preached two hours or one hour? Mostly less than 30 minutes, sometimes three times in a meeting. Oh, there was no preaching. Rubbish. You don't know your history. You don't know Wales. You don't know what you're talking about. See, this modern revival, we just sing and worship and give testimonies. You need to realize some revivals are like this. No wonder you're not getting born again then. No wonder things aren't being dealt with. 
You know, in, the, in Acts chapter 2, if Peter had not stood up and began to preach, he stood up, the 11 beside him. Go on, Peter, preach. Preach under the power of the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit's on a man when he begins to preach, begins to evangelize. See, it takes God's touch to do that. Oh, oh just sure, sure, there's miracles here and there's tongues here and there's supernatural dialects. Just leave it to God. You need to stand and preach clearly the gospel. You know what Peter done? He stood up and he began to preach about Christ crucified. And he pointed the finger. He said, you crucified the Messiah, the Lord's Messiah. You nailed him to a cross. You did this to him. You need to repent. You need to deal with your sin. You know what happened? Revival's already there. No one come under conviction of sin. But as the word of God is preached, suddenly 3,000 in a short sermon, they begin to cry, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? Their hearts were pierced, not by the Holy Spirit coming down. You know what I'm telling you is radical. See what I've just told you is mind-blowing. Haven't heard a single person say it in three months. Why not? It's the Bible. All these intellectuals, preachers, leaders, they're saying, if you don't accept everything, then, then you're a Pharisee. You're a hindrance. You're anti the Holy Ghost. Stop being stupid. Do you know what? Let someone stand up and begin to preach and people are going to get born again. Is it a real revival? Okay, let's test it. Let's preach repentance. Let's preach against sin. Let's preach creation. Let's preach against evolution. Let's preach against, uh, against immorality. Let's preach blood atonement. And the power of God will come. You know what this valley is? It's Israel as a physical nation. Secondly, it's the church of this generation. Thirdly, it's the lost of this generation. And with this, I close. It's the lost, the valley of dry bones. Who are they? They're a whole generation. They are very dry. There are very many. Have you been to that valley recently? Who's going to preach to this generation? Who's going to reach them? What, you're happy with one or two or three? You're, you're, you're actually satisfied with your own family members going to hell? You're not even broken over your own family members. You think we're going to reach a city. You're not even broken. You can go to sleep tonight and you're not disturbed. When's the last time you stayed up all night because your mommy, your daddy, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter is on their way to hell and they're about to fall into an eternal hell. You go off to sleep. You go early. You get up late. You're not even bothered. Oh, Lord, save them. Yawn, go off to bed. Since the valley of dry bones, we need someone again to preach. We need a church to preach. We need a movement to preach again. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let revival come. And you're going to get a Peter preaching on that high street. The power of the Holy Spirit. You must repent. Be baptized. You need to come to the blood of Jesus. You need to make your life right. You need to be born again. We, we need a generation of the church who actually have the faith to walk into the valley of dry bones. Uh, how, how dare you sit with your unsaved family members and not even be grieved, not even be quenched. You can go through Christmas, go through New Year. You can laugh, you can joke, you, you can entertain. Where are the tears? Where are the brokenness? 
Some of us in here lost family members last year who went out into a lost eternity. Who of your family will go out into eternity this year? We can't save anyone since we can't do that. But we can preach. We can stand in the middle of Valley of Dry Bones and say, wind of God blew again one last time. Please stand with me as we close. Oh, saints of God, we are in the valley of dry bones and it's very dry, very full. And you know what? I believe this is the hour. This is not a normal hour and generation that you and I live in. This is an extraordinary hour. I believe this prophecy, 2,600 years old, is waiting for this hour. And do you not think that if God has restored physically the nation of Israel, don't you think he has a plan for the church? Don't you know God can turn his church into a mighty army? You and I always see is the, is, is the derelict dereliction of heresy and apostasy and coldness and compromise and it's scattered and it's disunified. It's a mess. You can't even identify people in the church anymore. Are they living? Are they dead? Are they apostate? Are they a real genuine believer? I can't even identify the real church anymore. It's a mixture. It's confused. You know what? I believe if the Spirit of God moves, we can have an exceeding great and mighty army come out of this generation. I don't know how he does it, saints of God. I don't know the hour. I don't know the day. I don't know the date. But I promise you, I know the Word of God. I know this book. And there's coming a worldwide revival. Oh, I'm not into NAR. I'm not into all of that extreme charismania or all the false prophets. I'm not. But I do believe this Bible. There is coming a move of God in this hour. The like of it. Do you know what? I believe most genuine Christians don't even have the first clue about what's just about to happen. And you know what? We're going to get an exceeding mighty army. All God needed was one Ezekiel. All the rest are asleep. No prophet, no preacher wants to come here. Just one Ezekiel who stand there and begin to prophesy these dead bones are going to live. These dry bones are going to become a mighty spiritual marching functioning church and army. I mean, overnight, overnight, it's going to happen. Since it happened in Scotland in the early 1600s, overnight, God changed an entire nation politically and spiritually, educationally, morally, an entire nation And he raised up preachers, prophets, evangelists, men of God, shepherds in every community. Overnight he done it. I don't know how he does it. Son of man, do you think these bones can live? What did the wise prophet say? Thou knowest, Lord. Do you know what? I'm a wise preacher who simply says, Lord, thou knowest, but I'll prophesy what you give me to prophesy. I'd be a fool to think I could make these bones live or change the church, or save the lost of this generation. But you know what? If you tell me to prophesy, I'm going to prophesy. Just right now, saints of God, it's not you that saves your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, your family members, those in around you. Just begin to stand. Hear the word of the Lord. Begin to prophesy. 
let the hand of God come on you. Let the Spirit of God come on you. Let the Word of God come to you. Be obedient in this hour. Let Him lift you. Let Him carry you. Let Him even make you to say things that you normally wouldn't say. But let that wind begin to blow. Saints of God, it's time that we began to dream. We began to believe. We began to have visions in the valley of dry bones. It's, begin, it's about time we began to see an exceeding mighty army arise, a real genuine church, an evangelizing church, a church to be reckoned with. Just like that church in the upper room, 120 scared, terrified, running several weeks before. They're denying him. They're scared. They're scattered. They're not together. And yet several weeks later, the power of God comes down and an entire city shakes. It has to be time again that we see the power of God. Someone has to reach this valley of dry bones. Father, we love you. We bless you. We come as a church right now. You know what we are. Other men may say other things and think much of this church, but you know us. You know us individually. You know this preacher, how terrified, how weak he is. But oh God, we do believe in the power of our God. Lord God, we believe in the power of your Holy Spirit. We're asking for the hand of God to come in this church. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to lift us and move us and to carry us out into this valley of dry bones. We're asking for the word of the Lord to come, that you'd stir faith in our hearts, that we'd begin to prophesy and to preach according to the word of God, that you'd give us a clear vision, that you'd give us clarity of tongue. Lord God, to our loved ones, Lord God, around us. My God, I pray the Holy Spirit is going to come on members of this body, in their homes, O God, amongst sinners, O God, in the workplace, O God. Let your Holy Spirit fall upon us, that we're going to evangelize, that we're going to preach the gospel without apology, without compromise, without a hesitation in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah.